Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Well, good morning, my Mysterians from cold and chilly South Texas. It's about 45 degrees here. We're into winter. Actually, we may be only in late fall, but still, it's cold. Hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Got some turkey. That was what counted. I want to jump right into our story. This is episode 25 of Terry's Mysterious Moments, and I titled this one Strange Stories from Our Military. The USS William D. Porter, DD 579, nicknamed the Willie D, was a ship of the United States Navy. It was a Fletcher class destroyer named after Commodore William D. Porter who lived from 1808 to 1864. The keel of the William D. Porter was laid down on May 7, 1942 at Orange, Texas by the Consolidated Steel Corporation. It was launched on September 27, 1942 and it was sponsored by Miss Mary Elizabeth Reeder and it was commissioned on July 6, 1943. The ship is predominantly remembered today for the string of extremely unfortunate and in some cases laughable events that plagued her short three-year career during World War II. The Porter departed Orange shortly after being commissioned. After stops at Galveston, Texas and Algiers, Louisiana, the destroyer headed for Guantanamo Bay, Cuba on July 30, 1943, for shakedown. She completed shakedown a month after that, and following a brief stop in Bermuda, continued on to Charleston, South Carolina, where she arrived on September 7th. The Porter completed post-shakedown repairs at Charleston and got underway for Norfolk, Virginia at the end of the month. For about five weeks, the warship operated from Norfolk conducting battle practice with USS Intrepid and other ships of the Atlantic Fleet. On November 12th of 1943, the ship departed Norfolk for rendezvous with the USS Iowa. The brand new battleship was on her way to North Africa, carrying President Franklin D. Roosevelt to the Cairo and Tehran conferences. William Porter was reported to have been involved in a mishap while departing Norfolk when her anchor tore the railing and lifeboat mounts off a docked sister destroyer while maneuvering astern. The porter was moored between the USS Cogswell and the USS Young, with the Cogswell being pierside. None of the three ships reported giving or receiving damage to one another in their war diaries during the first half of November of 1943. Who would? That would be embarrassing. 
apparently stuff like this wasn't one of those things that they felt needed to be reported. The next day, a depth charge from the deck of the William D. Porter fell into the rough sea and exploded, causing Iowa and the other escort ships to take evasive maneuvers under the assumption that the task force had come under torpedo attack by German U-boat. Ships logs from the Porter and the Iowa do not mention a lost depth charge nor a U-boat search on November 13th. Both logs do mention that the Porter experienced a boiler tube failure on number three boiler, causing the ship to fall out of position in the formation until number four boiler was brought online. On November 14th, at Roosevelt's request, Iowa conducted an anti-aircraft drill to demonstrate her ability to defend herself. The drill began with the release of a number of balloons for use as targets. While most of these were shot down by gunners aboard the Iowa, a few of them drifted toward the Porter, which also shot down balloons as well. Porter, along with other escort ships, also demonstrated a torpedo drill by simulating a launch at the Iowa. Not a brilliant maneuver in my book. This drill suddenly went awry when a live torpedo discharged from Mount Number 2 aboard the Porter and headed straight for the Iowa. Porter attempted to signal Iowa about the incoming torpedo, but owing to orders to maintain radio silence, they used a signal lamp instead. However, the destroyer first misidentified the direction of the torpedo and then relayed the wrong message, informing Iowa that Porter was backing up rather than a torpedo was in the water. Somebody failed their classes, apparently. In desperation, the destroyer finally broke radio silence using code words that relayed a warning message to Iowa regarding the incoming torpedo. After confirming the identity of the destroyer, Iowa turned hard to avoid being hit by the torpedo. Roosevelt, meanwhile, had learned of the incoming torpedo threat and asked his Secret Services agents to move his wheelchair to the side of the battleship so he could see. Again, not a brilliant maneuver. Not long afterward, the torpedo detonated in the ship's wake. Some 3,000 yards astern, Iowa was unhurt, but as a result of his friendly fire incident, ships would routinely greet the destroyer with the hail, Don't shoot! We're Republicans! The entire incident lasted about four minutes from torpedo firing at 1436 to detonation at 1440. After the torpedo incident with the Iowa with President Roosevelt, the entire ship was sent to Bermuda, I believe it was, and placed under arrest. Everybody on the ship was under arrest and under investigation. Well, they were cleared, obviously, and sent back on their way. On November 25th, William D. Porter returned to Norfolk and prepared to transfer to the Pacific. She got underway for that duty on December 4th, steamed via Trinidad and reached the Panama Canal on the 12th. After transiting the canal, the destroyer set a course for San Diego, 
where she stopped between December 19th and 21st to take on cold weather clothing and other supplies necessary for duty in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. On December 29th, the porter arrived in Dutch Harbor on the island of Unalaska and joined Task Force 94. Between January 2nd and 4th, 1944, she voyaged from Dutch Harbor to Adak, where she conducted training operations until her departure for Hawaii on the 7th. The warship entered Pearl Harbor on January 22nd and remained there until February 1st, at which time the destroyer put to sea again to escort the USS Blackhawk to Adak. The two ships arrived at their destination nine days later, and Porter began four months of relatively uneventful duty with Task Force 94. She sailed between the various islands in the Aleutians chain, serving primarily as an anti-sub escort. On June 10th, the destroyer stood out of Attu and headed for the Kuril Islands. She and the other ships of Task Force 94 reached their destination early on the morning of the 13th. They started to shell their target, the island of Matsuwa, at 513. After 20 minutes, Porter's radar picked up an unidentified surface vessel closing her port quarter at a speed in excess of 55 knots, and the warship ceased fire on Matsua to take the new target under fire. Soon thereafter, the craft's reflection disappeared from the radar screen, presumably the victim of Task Force 94's gunfire. Not long afterward, the task force completed its mission and retired from the Kurils to refuel at Attu. On June 24th, the destroyer left Attu with Task Force 94 for her second mission in the Kurils. Following two days at sea and steadily increasing fog, she arrived off Paramushiro on the 26th in a dense fog with visibility down to about 200 yards. She delivered her gunfire then departed with the task force to return to the Aleutians. A month of training exercises intervened between her second and third voyages on the Kurils. On August 1st, she cleared Kuluk Bay for her final bombardment of the Kurils. On the second day, an enemy twin-engined bomber snooped on the task force and received a hail of fire from some of the screening destroyers. That proved to be the only noteworthy event of the mission because the following day, the bombardment was canceled due to poor weather and the enemy reconnaissance plane. Porter dropped anchor in Massacre Bay at Attu on August 4th. After a month of anti-sub patrol, the warship departed the Aleutians for a brief yard period at San Francisco, preparatory to reassignment to the Western Pacific. She completed repairs and stood out of San Francisco on September 27th. She reached Oahu on October 2nd, spent the ensuing fortnight in training operations out of Pearl Harbor. On the 18th, she resumed her voyage west, and 12 days later, the warship pulled into Seattle Harbor at Manus in the Admiralty Islands. She departed Manus early in November to escort USS Alshane via Hollandia to Leyte. 
though the porter arrived in the western Pacific too late to participate in the actual invasion at Leyte, combat conditions persisted there after her arrival in San Pedro Bay. Soon after she anchored there, Japanese planes swooped in to attack the ships in Anchorage. The first plane fell to the guns of a nearby destroyer before reaching Porter's effective range. A second intruder appeared, however, and the destroyer's five-inch guns joined those of the assembled transports in bringing him to a fiery end in midair. Crash, boom, bang. For the remainder of the year, Porter escorted ships between Lady, Hollandia, Manus, Bougainville, Mindoro. On December 21st, while steaming from Leyte to Mindoro, she encountered enemy air power once again. Two planes made steep glides and dropped several bombs near the convoy. The destroyer opened up with her main battery almost as soon as the enemies appeared, but to no avail. Their bombs missed the targets by a wide margin, luckily, but the two Japanese aircraft apparently suffered no damage and made good their escape. Not long thereafter, four more airborne intruders attacked and the porter concentrated her fire on the two nearest her, one of which fell to her anti-aircraft fire. The second succumbed to the combined efforts of other nearby destroyers, and the remaining two presumably beat feet and retired to safety. From then on till midnight, enemy aircraft shadowed the convoy, but none displayed temerity enough to attack. Before dawn the following morning, she encountered and destroyed a heavily laden but abandoned enemy landing barge. After completing her screening mission at Mindoro, Porter returned to San Pedro Bay on December 26 to begin preparations for the invasion of Luzon. For the Lingayan operation, the Porter was assigned to the Lingayan Fire Support Group of Admiral Jesse Oldendorf's Bombardment and Fire Support Group, or TG-77.2. The destroyer departed San Pedro Bay on January 2nd and joined her unit in Leyte Gulf the following day. The entire group then passed south through the Surigao Strait, then crossed the Mindanao Sea, rounded the southern tip of Negros, then proceeded generally north along the western coasts of Negros, Panay, Mindoro, and finally Luzon. By the time the unit reached the southwestern coast of Luzon, it came within the effective range of Luzon-based aircraft. Beginning on the morning of January 5th, enemy planes, including those wonderful kamikazes, brought the force under attack. The porter saw no action during the first stage of those attacks because the group's combat air patrol, or CAP, provided an effective protective blanket. However, the last raid broke through the CAP umbrella at 1650 and charged to the attack. Porter took three of those planes under fire at about 1713, but growing darkness precluded evaluation of the results of that engagement. During that raid, the cruiser USS Louisville and escort carrier USS Manila Bay suffered extensive damage from kamikaze crashes. Before dawn on the 6th, the destroyer moved into Lingayan Gulf with her unit 
to begin pre-invasion bombardment. Throughout the day, enemy planes made sporadic attacks on the bombarding ships. That evening, Porter began firing on shore batteries, guarding the approaches to the landing beaches. At 1738, her attention was, diver was diverted to a lone plane, and her anti-aircraft brought it down handily. Twenty minutes later, a twin-engine Mitsubishi G4M, or Betty, ran afoul of the destroyer's gunners, who splashed this one neatly as well. Porter then returned to her primary mission, shore bombardment. After the landings on January 9th, the destroyer's mission changed to call fire and night harassing fire for the next week. She and the rest of the Task Force TG 77.2 stood off Lingayen Gulf to protect the approaches. On the 18th, she re-entered the Gulf to resume support duty for forces ashore and to contribute to the Anchorage's air, anti, air and anti-submarine defenses. She then departed for a while and then came back to Lingayen Gulf and moved on to Leyte to prepare for the assault on Okinawa. She remained at Leyte for the first half of March, then joined the gunfire support unit attached to the Western Islands attack group. There were no more untoward incidents on this ship for a while. Then came the attack on Okinawa. While they were there, constant air raids launched from Kyushu and Formosa prompted the Americans to establish a cordon of radar picket ships around Okinawa. And it was to this duty that the porter was switched in early May. For the next month, she stood this picket duty, warned the fleet of the approach of enemy air raids, and vectored interceptors out to meet the attackers. She brought down another enemy plane with her own guns, and fighters under her direction accounted for seven more. At some point during the early part of the Battle of Okinawa, it is claimed that the porter accidentally damaged the USS Luce, but the incident is not mentioned in contemporary war reports discussing the sinking of Luce, and at the time of Luce's sinking, the porter was in Hagushi, Anchorage, and Luce was north of Aguni Island, so even under extreme circumstances, she couldn't have been involved. As we all know, in wartime, weird stuff happens, and on June 10th of 1945, the William D. Porter fell victim to a unique, although fatal and sad, kamikaze attack. At 8.15 that morning, an obsolete Aichi D-3A VAL dive bomber dropped unheralded out of the clouds and made straight for the warship. The destroyer managed to evade the suicide plane, and it splashed down nearby her. Somehow, though, the explosive-laden plane glided underwater up under the porter and exploded. Suddenly, the warship was lifted up out of the water, then dropped back down again due to the force of the blast. She lost power and suffered broken steam lines. A number of fires also broke out. For three hours, her crew struggled to put out the fires, 
to repair the damage and keep the ship afloat. The crew's efforts were in vain, and 12 minutes after the order to abandon ship went out, the porter heeled over to starboard and sank by the stern. Miraculously, her crew suffered no fatal injuries. The warship's name was struck from the Naval Vessel Register on July 11, 1945. Well, that's the first half of this story. There's another story to come, but it's also rather lengthy, so I'll include it next week. Hey, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for being with Terry's Mysterious Moments again, and come back and listen again. Have a great week, y'all. Bye.